This is part two of my interview series with Colin Byard. Welcome to Declassified College, a podcast where we give you all the cheat codes needed to pass this level in your life. Each week, we share three short episodes filled with clips of our interviews with students from across the United States and occasionally an interview with an industry expert to answer all of your questions about attending university. College can be what sets you up for a prosperous career, or it can be the four years that when you look back on it, you wish that you did it different. We're here to make sure that you have all the information so that by the time you walk across that stage, you're ready for the so-called real world that the boomers love to talk about. My name is Justin Wynn, and it's about time we declassified college. This is part two of my interview with Colin. In this episode, we get to talk about the future of higher ed. Will colleges start bringing the concept of design thinking into the university? Are students going back to campus in the fall? And Colin even makes some bold predictions on what lies in the future for colleges and universities. Make sure you stay until the end because Colin shares a few more resources that you can use to apply design thinking in your own life. So let's jump back where we left off with me asking Colin about if universities are going to start implementing design thinking into their curriculums. Yeah, definitely. And I just have to even, you know, for instance, Florida State University um, has an incredible organization uh, around design thinking, and they teach whole courses on it. Um, It's super interesting to to look at. Additionally, uh, you know, a lot of uh, engineering schools in particular have now started incorporating human-centered design as a core component of their curriculum. Um, you know, you can see this starting to, to sprout up. I know entire entire institutions, Notre Dame being one of them, who redesigned their entire course curriculum using design thinking as an approach to course curriculum design. Um, and so all of this to say, it, you're going to see it pop up. It may not be called design thinking. It may be called human-centered design. It may just be called design principles, but anything to do with how to extract insights from end users and design real solutions around end users, that is the core component of this broader category of human-centered design, no matter how you cut it. And so then the question becomes, how do you package those skills and sell those skills to an employer if you're just getting them under a different name? Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. One of the things that I love whenever I get to talk with you is you're always working on something cool, right? Previously, you had the Parker Dewey project, the retreat. Um, what is something that you're you're working on that right now that is really cool? Um, I would say one of the more interesting things I'm working on right now that I think has a lot of promise is what would it look like if we were able to help colleges and universities better understand their long-term job outcomes for their graduates. This is notoriously difficult information to collect. Once you become an alumni, you have no official ties to the institution, and the institution can try all it might to track you down and find you, but it's a one-off, one-person-at-a-time kind of commitment, and there's no strategic way to do that until recently. Uh, there's a, quite a few of these like workforce and data analytics and data science firms that can 
use their AI and machine learning algorithms to go through and comb the entirety of the internet to find your alums and let you know what jobs are they doing, potentially, you know, what what would a salary look like for someone doing that kind of job? What skills are they advertising and using on a regular basis? Um, you know, what what was their longitudinal career path? What was their first job after they graduated? And, and where are they now? And how did they get there? Did they go get another degree from another institution? We don't have a systemic way as higher education institutions broadly to capture that kind of information. And so I'm working with a couple of these firms to figure out what that could look like. Could we actually turn this around? And could we then help make programmatic decisions at the degree level around ensuring that we're either shoring up skills that we thought we were teaching, but don't show up in the long term for these students, or to highlight the, the great skills students are already learning and don't know that they have. Um, and so that's something that, that's in the pipeline I've been thinking a lot about for a long time. Um, because I think if we have the data and we can make data-driven decisions about how to best support students, we'll finally be in a place where we can really help bridge that college to career ecosystem and build that crosswalk between the two of them in a way that just wasn't accessible to us before because we only had hearsay and anecdotal evidence to rely on. Yeah. I mean, as interesting as that sounds, like that's also really scary too at a little bit, yeah. right? Because it's like an algorithm is just be basically going through everything that you've ever posted on the internet and is able or could be able to figure out like where you went to school, if you graduated from somewhere else, what skills, like you said, all the things that you listed. And that's like, holy crap, like how much information on Justin Wynn is there actually out there? It's, it'd be really interesting to, to kind of find out. I wish there's a place that you could go that like had all your information that you've put out there, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever it may be, and like just consolidated it so that we could all see like our information footprint on the internet world. Um, but I, I totally think that... agree. And, <laughs> Go ahead. and the important so speaking, you know, you brought up watching Abstract on Netflix earlier. Um, you know, there's a documentary on on Netflix called The Great Hack. It's a political documentary. I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but I think the most interesting component is right at the beginning of the documentary. It's a professor in a media course talking to students about how creepy it is when Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, whatever, provides you advertising for a product that you may have not even looked up yet. And maybe you've just talked about it with somebody or maybe uh, it's just been front of mind for you. And the professor talks about how people assume like Facebook's always listening to them. And he's like, actually, that's not true. Their algorithm and the data points they're able to bring together about you and predict your behavior accordingly are that accurate that even though you're not even looking up that thing yet, it can predict that you might want to. Um, and, and so it's so important to any student listening to this, welcome to the current world we live in. Data is such a, a high commodity and you are probably putting out way more data points about yourself than you even know or would want to put out. And so this is a, a great example of, I think, a positive use of that data. But there are organizations and people out there who are not good stewards of that information. And so it's important for you to be very thoughtful about your online presence, what you put, where you put it, why you put it, and to avoid personal information in places that 
um, being that you don't trust to, to be good stewards of your data um, because it is highly valued and companies pay a lot of money to get that kind of information. Yeah, man, it's super weird where data is going to go in the future. But all that I know is that's probably where the big money is at. Um, but speaking about the future, where do you feel the future of education kind of goes from here, especially right now with the coronavirus, higher ed's kind of in this weird spot of being online, being offline? Um, where do you think the future of education lies? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is the the multi-billion dollar question, right? Like this is a we're, we're talking a lot of, of very challenging decisions. I've never been so happy to not be a part of important conversations in my life. Um, <laughs> there aren't good ones here, right? Like, I think that's the, the thing that's really important, I think, for everyone to consider during this whole situation is just the level of complexity that goes into that decision. And here's what I mean. So there was a, a, port, a study that came out recently that showed that on a college campus, on average, there are approximately two levels of separation between any two students. That's it. Just two. Forget six degrees of separation. We're talking two people. So the realities of a potential outbreak dr dramatically impacting campus can be pretty high um, because we're talking lots of people in close quarters. This virus in particular with the number of people who are asymptomatic or low symptomatic um, when it comes to the virus is is huge. I mean, it's a huge problem. I mean, there are tons of people who could be carrying it and you have no idea. And so we have to first consider the public health implications. Then universities, I think more than anybody would love to just say, we want to be open. But could you imagine a, a situation where we say, yep, we're open for fall. And then all of a sudden what happened this spring semester has to happen again. And we have to figure out how to send all these people home. Uh, that's probably not an ideal case either. Then you have to consider the financial implications, right? Very few universities own all of their residence halls directly. A lot of them are still paying debt service on residence halls. They still have to figure out occupancy for those. What does it look like if you're not taking in revenue for your residence hall operation? Well, now you have to impact another part of the operation because you can't not pay your debt. And so I think you're seeing all of these pressures play out. And I think that's why you're seeing college campuses saying, you know, wait till the summer. We're intending to be open this fall. You're going to hear a lot of that language. And to students listening, I would, even if your college opens, I would not expect it to exist and to be the student experience that you left. We're talking social distancing at whatever level we need to in, until this can get totally figured out. You know, large events probably won't happen. Like there probably won't be tailgates. There probably, there may not be football games. Like these are all things that, that you have to really think about. Just because your college is open does not mean you're going to be going back to the same student experience. If I had to make a prediction, I'm not a betting man, so I'm not putting money on this, but I think you're going to see a, a high amount of hybrid course structures come this fall. I think you're going to see a small residential population at a lot of different colleges and universities. And you're going to start to see socially distanced classes, a lecture hall where it's skip every three people in a row and every other row. And most people are online, or you may see a structure where you might physically be allowed on campus and services to students are being distributed face to face, but classes are not. And classes are still online, despite you physically being on campus. 
because it may or may not be safe to put you in that closer proximity to people in a classroom. These are the considerations I think that are really important to think through here. And this is a very hard decision. And and at some level, it may not even be the university's decision, you know, depending on how the government governance of your institution and your state goes, the state governing board of higher education, whether that's a a board of governors, uh, you know, a board of education, a board of regents, whatever it is, may actually say, actually, all of our campuses shut down. And your institution, if it's a public institution, may not get any say in that whatsoever. That just might be it for you. Um, And so this is just a really complicated situation. And I think colleges are doing everything in their powers to manage it and communicate accordingly. It's high stress. And as a student, I for sure would want my experience to be in person. I would for sure want it to be that mystical college experience that the movies talk about and that your parents talk about if your parents went to college and that, you know, everyone dreams is going to be. I just don't know if in this current age, we're going to be able to replicate that in the immediate future. And I think it's important for, for students in, in particular to recognize and to be okay with that and to be patient and kind to whatever institution of their, their choosing is because there are a lot of people trying to figure this out and trying to get ahead of this. It's just so unpredictable. And there are so many decision factors that I don't know if we can do it. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many moving parts, right? And you just touched on a few. You've got grading, especially right when it comes to online courses, the pass and fail. How does that impact grad school, med school, et cetera, Um, international students, all of these really different factors that I think a lot of people don't think about. I mean, I didn't think about it until we've had a conversation in the past and it really starts to make sense from the big sort of view of things. But it's just, it's crazy that this is kind of the time that, that we're living in. But I think it'll actually be for the better in terms of the future of higher education, just because of the the amount of disruption that it might allow. And it might even mm-hmm. force higher ed to change in the future, which I think everyone was really waiting for um, over the past like 10, 20, 30 years or so. We needed this, I think, in terms of the, the ability to disrupt higher ed. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, higher ed's been really resistant to disruption, um, and, and I think it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. There's a, a really interesting Strata Education Network and Gallup Consumer Survey poll that comes out weekly that's highlighting the fact that in, in times like these, people actually tend to go back to higher education in greater numbers than in other times. So if you look at the, the 2008 recession, colleges saw a dramatic uptick in enrollment. Um and, and, and so the signaling and incentive structure will, will, we don't know yet. It'll vary, right? Like, do we see that again? Or do we see a greater demand to ensure that higher education is more aligned to workforce? And, and there's a certain sense of, quote unquote, modernization to it. It's a little too early to, to, to tell on either of those. But I'll be interested to see if it is disrupted or if the incentive structure remains, people will come back to school in times of, of great uh, crisis anyway. Um, and therefore we're going to be rewarded for continuing as is um, just by the nature of the beast. And so um, I would, I, I'd stay tuned to that because I, I think it's going to be an important data point to watch moving forward. Definitely. I'm really looking at, I really can't wait for the numbers for like fall enrollments versus like enrollments at schools, such as um, like the coding boot camps 
the the Udemy's, the Teachables of the world to see yeah. what kind of happens in that space. But only, like you said, only time will tell. But that does leave us to this last question that I do have. Um, what is a question that you wish that I asked you? Um, I think a question that I, I really wish um, I could have addressed during this time is kind of uh, a question around how do students in their current state actually gain the kinds of skills needed for design thinking and to engage in this design work? I think you asked a similar question, um, but I was holding a, a couple things in my pocket along some very practical opportunities for uh, a highly motivated student to take. Yeah, of course, especially anyone who's listening to these last bits of your interview, they're definitely going to be highly motivated. So feel free to drop right. that knowledge right now. <laughs> Yeah. So design thinking, its primary use is actually in entrepreneurial organizations. And so I think that uh, if you are still listening at minute 42 or whatever we're at right now, I think if you can go and create your own product or service or whatever, and you go and you do this kinds of research and you really learn the skill through, I mean, really trial by fire. I can't tell you the number of times I failed at facilitating a session or really working uh, through this with folks. But if you can create your own company, product, service, whatever, using this methodology, you're going to be one of the most marketable people ever. You know, being a CEO or founder of your own organization that has a real solution to a real problem can really drive you forward. So my encouragement to you is, is find a real problem people are facing. Do some on-the-ground research, interview folks, understand why it's a problem for them, and then work with a trusted group of, of advisors and, and friends and peers to come up with a solution to it. And whether or not you're able to launch it at the scale you want to, that is very practical experience that is going to look very impressive on the back end. And I think a lot of organizations will want to pick you up if that's the direction you want to go, or you can really, I don't think there's any better time to be a startup than right now. I don't think there's any better time than to cut it out on your own and to make it happen and to really go down that route. And I know quite a few people in those kinds of realms now, and I have an incredible amount of respect for the work that they've put in and the work that they're doing because they've had to learn so much so quickly and that can be you and if that's you then the world is open for whatever opportunity you want to grab on the other side of that and it's the lowest risk time in your entire life as a student because being able to fall back on the student identity to open doors and get access to experts and professionals that you won't get access to for free otherwise by saying i'm a student who's doing X, Y, and Z for a project is so powerful. And so don't underestimate that and use this time that you have access to that capital to make something happen. Because design thinking at its core is about doing. And so really, I think it's important that you, you use your time as a student to do as much as you can. Another day, another cheat code, and you're on your way to defeating the level that we like to call college. 
If you've liked any of the cheat codes that we've given out, please hit that subscribe button and give us a review on iTunes. Each review helps us grow and make sure that more people learn these tips. We love to hear from you all, so make sure you check out our website www.getchillgrindup.com and follow us on all social media platforms at getchillgrindup. That's G-E-T-C-H-O-G-R-I-N-D-U-P. So until next time, peace. Knockout. You.